welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Joshua Inskip. Joshua is the Regional Sales Manager in New South Wales, Australia, and manages a team of 13 sales professionals across five branches. Working in the industry for almost 18 years, Joshua has been associated with the likes of Kenarts Hire, Osco Modular, Orcot Hire, Royal Wolf, and today, Onsite Rental Group. Joshua, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, do you want to talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? Certainly. Thanks, thanks for having me, Mark. Um, I joined the industry in 2000, straight out of high school. Hadn't really worked anywhere prior. Uh, seen an ad in the paper for a, for a casual yardman at um, Kennard's Hire at Unidera. And I'm denied about applying. And my mother basically applied for me and sent my application in. Uh, and I got a phone call. Went in and had an interview with the guys there. Uh, there was a couple more experienced guys that actually got the nod. I then got a phone call off the branch manager. Um, as my parents are a little bit old fashioned, they uh, made me uh, wear dress pants, you know, shirt and, and a tie. So basically, Got a phone call about a week later saying, look, we had some more experienced applicants, but um, everybody was impressed with how far you went, you know, to, to dress up and showed that you really wanted the job. So they gave me a, um, a start as a casual at Unidera in, I think it was June 2000 or July 2000. So fresh 18 years old and first job was straight into the industry as a servicing driver. Worked as a casual for two weeks and then they uh, transitioned me into permanent. Wow. Turning up to a hire business in a suit, basically, yeah? <laughs> Is that what you yeah, went for? <laughs> pretty much, mate. And, and I can tell you, I've worked in the industry now for 20-odd years, and I haven't seen anybody turn up for a serviceman driver job in a suit. It's <laughs> so funny. Oh, that, that reminds me of me a little bit. I, my, one of my first jobs out of school as well was at John R. Turk, and they were looking for, I think it was like a parts interpreter or some type of parts role where I was just scanning things out and put them on the shelf and then doing some counter work. And yeah, I went into that job in a suit as well, pretty much because my mom also told me to. And then the guy yep. behind the counter, that was like the two I see, he was like, you do realize that this is John R. Turk. <laughs> I was like, uh, this is my first interview. So I feel, I feel what you went through. Yeah, mate, exactly right. And, and there was no way, because I was sort of looking, you know, I remember looking at my parents thinking it's, it's, you know, it's a high company. I'd, I didn't even know what, you know, what a hire company was when I applied for the job, to be quite honest. I just, I went in there and I, I could tell them, you know, a few things that I knew about a lawnmower and a, and a couple other little bits and pieces. And obviously, you know, I, I didn't learn, know much at the time, but after time, you know, you start to learn over 500 products at Kennards at the time. There was, there was a big range to learn, so it takes time, but you start to get an understanding of most things. Yeah, well, straight from school. So it would have been a pretty big learning curve. Plus, you, you would have went to your first full-time job. So like, were you working nine to five when you got that full-time gig? Uh, no, Kennards, back in the day, I was working seven to five. Monday, Monday to Friday, seven to five, and every second weekend, basically. So it was a, it was a real learning curve for me straight away, especially, you know, being service and driver and you're constantly out picking up equipment by yourself and Hadn't, like I said, I hadn't really done anything else before. I was a bit of a, probably, a, I'd say, a lazy kid. Had I was definitely not a motivated not a motivated kid, so 
it's uh there was a there was a guy there at Unidera Branch that sort of took me under his wing. Fantastic guy, still really good friends with him now, uh, Matt Gumley, and uh, I learned what it meant to to be in customer service pretty quickly. So, you know, just just turning up with a smile on your face and giving everything you've got every day. Um, he used to work at probably 150 miles an hour. Uh, so um, I, I learned pretty quickly and, and he was the sort of guy that I, I took to really quickly um, and, and wanted to be like and, you know, wanted to do everything that I could so and learn as much as I could, as quick as I could. So, Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like a bit of a trend. I've had a few people on the podcast from Ken Tire and they talk about joining the business at a young age and having those mentors within the business and, and looking up to them and having the right attitude and turning up with a, the right attitude and a smile. It seems like a very common trend. It's almost part of the culture within that organization. Mate, I'd, I'd say that. So I've always compared them whether whether they like the comparison or not, I suppose. Uh, I always compare them to, they're like the McDonald's of hire, mate. So every, everybody that, you know, if someone's done two years at Kennards, you know they've been trained. You know they've done some sort of customer service. You know that they've learned. They've been trained in the gear. They've been trained in the equipment. Like I said, I, I went there and I knew how to put fuel in a mower and kick it over and, and come out of there knowing, you know, about, you know, three, 400 pieces of gear. So they do put the training in, mate. That's that's one thing that, you know, like you said, the, the culture there was was really, really good when I, when I joined. Obviously, there was a buddy system set up, so you were straight away locked in with a buddy, trained you on everything. And I worked in a small small group. At the time, that was the only branch Kennards had in the Illawarra. Um, so there's only four or five of us that work there, so you get to know everybody very personally. Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with? Closing more deals? Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time? and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it. Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you. A simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www.try.rentalarrow.com. Now back to the podcast episode. Uh, and build that, build that real bond and that trust. And, you know, and that makes it a bit easier to come to work every day when the people that you're working with, you really like and you get on with. So, mm, That's awesome. So then oh, you get that full-time gig, you work in seven to five. What were some of the roles you had while you were at Kanatai? I started off, like I said, as a serviceman driver. Also started doing toilet pump outs. And I was doing toilet pump outs around the time that Kenny the movie was out. So every builder thought that, you know, it was the funniest thing to call you Kenny when you pulled up. <laughs> on the building site and it's like, man, this is the 30th time today I've heard that joke. So that got a bit old pretty quickly, but um, yeah, that's probably the worst job that you can, that, that I could possibly think of that I've done. Um, but in saying that it's, you know, my father's always taught me you're never too good to do something, you know, and if that's what the, the business needs from me, then that's what I'll do for the business. So it gives you a bit of perspective in, in life and, and I still use it now, you know, when, when I've got guys, in, in teams that complain, oh, this is hard and that's hard. And like, mate, go and stick yourself in a pump out truck for a week and pump out toilets in 40 degree heat. And then tell me whether you want to come back and do sales. You know, that's the kind of, you just, it gives you that, that understanding of, you know, from the bottom to, to the top sort of thing in, in hire. Mm. Um, also worked as a hire controller. So done that for a little bit. 
Uh, and then obviously into, into 2IC, uh, System Branch Manager, if, if you like. I shouldn't use those, those terminology, but yeah, um, Assistant Branch Manager for a while at a couple of different stores. So by the, that time, Canards had moved in and purchased a couple of um, businesses locally and there was a couple of stores. So there's a little bit more opportunity at Canards to, to move around um, once they opened in um, Oak Flats and Coromel. Very cool. And so did you work at any other companies after Kennard's High? Like what was that, what is your transition from there? Uh, well, actually in, in 03, I'd, I'd left Kennard's. I uh, got, got very unwell, left Canards and started to work for a company down in Wollongong called, when I finally come back, about six months later, Oaks Hire. Uh, and then about six months later, after I'd been there for a, just on a year, uh, Canards come and purchased them. So I ended up back at Canards. So, um, you know, I still have a, have a joke with uh, a couple of the boys there, you know, didn't really need to go and buy a company, could have just asked me to come back. But um, <laughs> the area manager at the time, Keith Annis, I was, I was really close to him. Uh, he's a really good, really good guy and a really good mentor as well. But yeah, then um, Kennards, I was, I was pretty much Kennards for a long time, a couple of, couple of stints at Kennards and then moved in to do bits and pieces around, around the place, never really held anything firm for a long time uh, and then ended up coming back into Kennards um, as a 2IC and then uh, transitioned into sales for Kennards. So all the way up until... Pretty much 2012, it was pretty much all Kennards. There was a couple of um, in-betweeners here for three months there or two months there while I tried to work out as a young boy what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be and, you know, life's going to be better everywhere else and all these kind of things. Mm. Well, so over a de- decade at Kennards Hire and then eventually you figured out that you wanted to go into sales. Was that what you yep. went through? What made you decide to go into sales? So I, I knew a lot of the people. I'd been in the industry, obviously, you know, as I said, for, for 10 years. I knew a lot of the customers. And um, the boys used to sort of give me a bit of stick because I used to always, somebody would turn a bit of gear, I'd always be out there having a chat, you know, having a chat, asking them about their job, just, just being curious. What did you do? What do you use that for? All those kind of things. And then uh, Kennards had never had a salesperson in, the, in Illawarra that I'm aware of. They had, they had a couple of guys that were in Sydney that might've done some stuff for bigger customers, but no one specifically targeting the Illawarra. Uh, they advertised for the job and I thought, well, I like to talk to people and I know the gear, maybe I can make it work. Uh, and Richard Purser at the time was general manager at Kennards and just said, look, I'll give you a go. It's your opportunity, you know, to get out of the branches and have a go. Um, turns out I was okay at it, pretty good. Um, and, and then just built my way up from there. You know, all the, started off obviously with all the guys that I knew, uh, knew really well, um, and it worked out really well because Kennard's never had a sales presence uh, and all of our competitors in town did. People started, we started to see a real, a real good results from the fact that we went to start to see them rather than them just relying on to come and see us. So it turned out really, really well mm. in, in the Illawarra for us. Yeah, Richard Purser actually retired recently. Yeah, yeah, I've heard he has actually. So, yeah, I think he did a stint over at Shaw High for a while, and yeah, he's been in the industry for a, for a very long time. Also, a very good, good good person in the industry. Yeah, he was he was a really good guy. Like I said, he was just he. I suppose I've got him to thank now from from what I'm doing because he was willing to give me a chance. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of guys that applied for that job that had experience. 
you know, and yet again, I suppose, like when I started, it's about chances and someone believing you and, you know, I sat in front of him and, and he sort of asked whether, you know, I, I still remember him asking, do you think you can do it? Just give me an honest answer. And I said, oh, I'll, I'm not sure whether I, I'm going to be good at it, but I'm going to give it everything I've got. And he went, that's all I needed, really. So it's, it's like I said, it's about chances and taking them when they're, when they're presented in front of you. Mm. So what were your first few sales calls like then? Was that intimidating? Uh, my first few were horrible, to be honest. They, well, I wouldn't say horrible. I, I really didn't know how to plan. I really didn't understand what it meant to do sales. You know, I probably got the perception that most operational people do. Uh, they don't do anything. They just sit down here and go down there and, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, there's people, you know, that I've worked with and seen in the industry that, you know, probably fit that mould of, you know, sitting under the gum tree or sitting at the beach. But the guys that are really good in the industry, they're the ones I concentrated on. So I tried to find good salespeople and, and then sort of pick ears and understand about, you know, what do you do? How do you go about it? But the first couple of calls for me were just pretty much, you know, we had an expression that we used to use at Kennards, you know, we'd drop a catalogue, you know, drop a clog. So it was just sort of, here, I'm from Kennards. Do you need gear? See you later. And then just sort of hoping for the best rather than really being anything else, you know? So, and then obviously you started with the people that you knew. So it's sort of like, you know, I've just started. And, and in the Illawarra, people are very good at giving you a chance. So I found because I was new at it and because I was showing an interest in, and, you know, if somebody rung me and said I wanted something, I'd, I'd move heaven and earth and, you know, ring the boys up and pester them just to make it happen then you start to build that reputation. But people are, you know, in sales as well, you know, people are very, you know, if you go in there and say, I can do this and over-promise and under-deliver, you're very quickly thrown to the scrap heap, you know. So mm. I learned some tough lef- lessons early about, you know, call planning and following up people. And there's a, um, a thing that I still say to my guys now, you know, that, that I teach my guys now, you know, the money's in the follow-up. The money's always going to be in the follow-up. It's okay to go and see someone and tell them what you do but how do you get, what's the next transaction? What's the next talk about? Because it's going to be the second one generally that you're going to get the money, you know? So you've told mm. them about it, now go and get it. So it's, it was uh, daunting. Um, I was petrified. I was, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely out of my comfort zone, 110%. It was, it was very, very scary. But yeah, the more you do it, like anything, mate, the better you get at it, the more confident you become and it just becomes second nature. And, you know, I think, one of my very, very first calls, I walked onto a building site and I got abused the, the second I walked on. You know, guys started shouting and screaming and telling me to go where and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was sort of thinking, what's going on? What, what you know, but I didn't realise or, or hadn't even thought of it that, you know, I was the 15th or 16th rep that had been on that site that day. You know, these guys are getting, they're getting their shits because, you know, I'm the, I'm the 16th guy that's been here today and it's 9.30 mm. in the morning, you know? It's like, so you just start to understand things and see little tricks and, you know, one of the ones that I, I still use today and I tell all the guys that are starting today is you see, if you see the concrete trucks out everywhere, not a good day to do a call, you know? And, and I only know that because I learned it the hard way. You know, walked into a, a site that's doing a major port and basically, you know, got thrown out of there, not, you know? So um, you, you start to learn things but you learn things by doing things. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So there's probably a lot of operational staff that are listening to the podcast as well. And when you say core plan, they, they might have no idea what you're talking about. So maybe it would be good for you to talk through what is a core plan and how, to, how does a salesperson use a core plan? Yeah, so core plan is basically a list of customers or jobs, um, basically, and it references to people that you want to go and see or target or jobs in your area. Um, and then you can put them on a core plan. So basically, whether you want to see them, the frequency, whether you want to see them every week, because the job might be large, uh, every four weeks, every eight weeks, or there might be some customers that are like, mate, I use you, we do it all the time, just come and see me every three months. So it's basically scheduling in core. So you're basically waking up every morning, knowing where you're driving, where you're going, not waking up and then thinking, well, who am I going to go see today? So it just gets you, you know, one of the things in sales that's, that I find really important is I used to like to, um, to do a soft call in the morning first, go and see somebody that I knew, somebody that could give you a bit of confidence. So, you know, you start to feel the day, you start the day feeling a little bit upbeat. You know, you've been to see someone, you might've got a high, you might've got an order, whatever it is but you just feel positive. You know, I've, I've done it the other way where I've just, you know, gone in and tried to cold call 10 sites in the morning and been told to bugger off nine times out of 10. And, it, and sales can be a lonely job, mate. It really can. You know, that's, that's the one thing operational people, I suppose, get that um, salespeople don't is that bondness, that, that team camaraderie and get to see each other and, you know, you know, have a bit of fun and have a joke around with people all day. Salespersons on the road, you're, you go on one out, you could be having a really bad day and you're on your own. You know, you've got mm. to stay motivated and, and keep going and keep pushing through, you know, that I always used to say to myself, every no I get, it's, it's one, one closer to yes, you know. So just keep pushing through and keep pushing through and you've got to keep turning up, you know. You, you, you know whether you're made for sales, I'd say within the first three to six months of doing it because if, if you haven't got that in you to keep pushing through, and to take rejection and, you know, people hurling abuse and, you know, all that kind of stuff that comes with it, you, you're probably not made for it. But I, I personally think people that come from an operational background that have an interest in it should try to take it up mm. because you've got the knowledge. You've got the background and you understand how the branch operates. So you don't tend to overpromise and under-deliver. You, you understand that the, the branch, you know, it can't physically get five deliveries out at 7 a.m for whatever reason. So you already know that if it's three o'clock in the afternoon, generally, more than likely the delivery. So you're not going to say, I'll give it to you at seven. You're going to make that phone call, check with the operational team. Can we do it? Can't we do it? That kind of thing. So, you know, if there's operational people listening to the podcast, I'd say, you know, if you've got an interest in sales, go for it. You know, just back yeah, yourself. Definitely. And definitely the technical side as well. Like if you're a mechanic and you're working on gear and you understand the ins and outs, and you're talking to a customer about uh, a requirement for a job, the mechanics often can talk in a lot better detail around what's possible with that machine and what you can get out of and things like that. So there's, there's multiple angles that people can come to it as well. A hundred percent. And like I said, in, in higher up, look, I've done, I've done a dabbled in sales on the other side of the fence, I suppose. And sales and hire are two different things, you know, and, and, and I've expressed this to many people probably too many times, but Sales and hire are different things, mate. And, and, and a lot of people that hire gear, they already know what they want. So it's up to you to build a relationship where they can rely on you to get what they want and when they want it. So there's a lot of relationships where you need to, um, you need to be just as strong as a salesperson with your operations team as you do with your customers. Because if you haven't got that, you're going to let your customer down because you haven't got that relationship with the branches. 
Mm. So, you, you know, really, you know, and, and going back to a sporting sporting teams, the, the best sporting teams I ever played in my life, you just, when, we, when I've gone on to win grand finals, you just know teams that you've got. You just, you can look around and just know that everybody do everything and everybody gets on and, you know, you don't have to have a team full of superstars. You just got to have a team that that's all going in the same direction, basically. Yeah, that's no, a good analogy. So let's harp on something a little bit. So you mentioned that there's a difference between sales and hire or sales and rental. So do you think that someone that sells equipment can go into rental or do you think it's easy for someone that does rental to go into sales of equipment? What's your perspective? Oh, look, I, I've seen a few people come from sales and try to come into rental. Some, some have taken to it, but it doesn't always work to go in and get the quick sale. So hire, I always, you know, and, and I've spoke to this many times, is hire is the long game. You know, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm talking to people, I'll, I'll never promise an employer that I ever work for that, you know, in the first six months, I'm going to bring in $3 million worth of work and I'm going to bring all these customers and I'm going to do this and I'm the best. I just don't do that because hire is the long game. If you want someone that's going to bring customers for you for 10 years, that's what you're going to get because that's what you're after. You, you don't want someone that's just going to, promise the world to get one hire and then just move on to the next thing, which in a sales process, it's generally what you do. You know, you sort of, you, you, you prospect, you get the opportunity to quote, you sell it and then you move on. There might be an aftermarket sales specialist that looks after them or there, there might be somebody else or you might, that guy's generally not going to want any more gear in the equipment sales, I suppose, maybe for depending what it is, two years, 10 years, five years. So you tend to, get someone and move on, whereas hire, you mm. want to get someone and keep them. So it's about being consistent in your approach. It's about consistently seeing people coming back to that core plan of stuff, constantly seeing them, knowing what's going on, asking them questions. And like I said about coming from an operational point of view, when you know your gear, if you know your customer as well, it's just as, just as valuable. If you know why they use gear and where they use the gear, then you can start seeing opportunities and you stop becoming just another sales guy that knocks on the door and you become the guy that becomes a solution seller rather than, Hey man, I've got this and yeah. 20 other people have got it. You know, if you can see it, I can come in and go, I've got this ready to go because I can see you're at this stage and you're going to need this. Now you're yeah. valuable. And, that, and that's how you add value. Yeah, not just an order taker. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Otherwise you could just go to the Kenantai website and rent it online. Yeah. You could, mate. Yeah, and everybody's got that on their on their websites now as well, mate. You know, so it's you, you can just flick it online and away you go. Yeah, uh, very, all, all very good advice. So, so you did your ten to twelve years at Kennards Hire. Then what happened? Uh, I followed a sales manager there, who I probably I'll probably have to credit a lot with giving me the belief that I could do sales, and also showed me the way that. I suppose, you know, the way that he used to go about sales, but also if you want to win, you've got to be willing to do more than everybody else. And um, so I followed, there was a, a, a guy that worked at Kennards, Chris Tolhurst, and I followed him from, I followed him from Kennards um, and went to Osco Modular and, and worked there for a couple of years. Started off doing, doing higher, higher buildings. Uh, and while I was there, I noticed that nobody, well, there was nobody allocated to sales. So sales stuff would come through and nobody was really allocated to it. Nobody really looked after it. And so I started to do a couple of those, um, took that on board with Chris's blessing, of course, um, and started to realise the other side, like I said, realise the other side that I'd put the stuff out there and then 
you know, casually follow up and wasn't really good at closing the sale and didn't really understand that because I'd come from hire and missed a few sales and didn't quite understand why I was missing the sales. Um, you know, people weren't ringing me back saying, oh, can we go ahead with this or we're looking to do this or someone. I found that people just wouldn't give you that, that feedback. You had to chase the feedback. Mm. So you had to be, you had to be that, that a little bit more aggressive in the sales. I suppose from there, picked up a couple of really, really good sales um, and, and a large one with Sydney Trains. And that was through, and, and this is what I, I talk about, the value of cold calling, you know, and, and Chris taught me the value of chasing down anything. So there was, there was basically an old, old quote sitting there from a, a previous rep that had done a, a quote for Sydney Trains. And I, I just got the old quotes out the lost quotes and started ringing people, the contacts rung the guy. said, are you looking to still hire this? He's like, no, no, you know, don't want to do that. Uh, had a chat about some different things and they said, oh, we could possibly be looking to buy some stuff. So then obviously followed him down, done everything that they wanted. And then we tended for the project and, and we got awarded the project. And I think it was nearly 20 something million dollars worth of work oh, that, wow. that it come through. It was, um, it was a big win for Ozco at the time kept the manufacturing going because the mining had dipped at that time as well. Um, so it was, it was a really positive time at Ozco. A lot of people involved in a project so so big. But I suppose one of the things, you know, at Ozco, I was, I was, I was known as Dreamboat because I, I'd go for everything. You know, there was a lot of people that were risk adverse. I, I call that politically correct. They're risk adverse. And um, me being me, I'm like, I'm all in for everything. So... But there was a lot of good people there that, <clears throat> that won that project. You know, I, my job was to bring it to the table, bring opportunities, and their job was to bid it and win it, and we did. So mm. it was a really, really positive positive win. And obviously, I was still living in Wollongong at the time. So I was, I was living in Wollongong and travelling to Seven Hills every day. So after you know, nearly two years, it was, it was getting a bit, a bit much to, to be up and back every day. You know, travel was really starting to take toll on me, family life, that kind of thing. I, we had a young baby at home and, and things like that. And the opportunity to actually come back to, to go back to Kennards back in Wollongong. Uh, and I took the opportunity to come back into, into Kennards in a key account management role. And um, from that point of view, I was doing a lot of stuff in and around, you know, training and, and, and going, traveling into Canberra and Newcastle and helping new people settle in. And um, it was a bit bit more of a dynamic role rather than just, you know, seeing the same customers in, in Wollongong, which I had a fairly, mm. I, I feel I had a fairly good grip on and understood it very well. And then, yeah, that, that had the opportunity to do all of that kind of stuff and, and move back into there. Yeah. I, was, I thought you were going to say that they tried to buy Ozco to get you back as well. No, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, mate. No, nah, no. Nah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. So then you back to Canards again. So round two, or actually round three, yeah? Because you had that six yeah, months I, I think it was about three, maybe four times I was at Canards. Oh, wow. I was Johnny Farnan, mate. They couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> one so last then, time, one last time. <laughs> and so the, what was the last time? What happened after that? So the last time just come down to career progression. So I, I, literally, I literally just, I couldn't see anywhere, any future for myself other than what I was doing. And look, I could have stayed there for 20 years. I've got some of, some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life work at that company and still do. Just, just terrific people, you know. But uh, for me personally, I, I needed more. 
I've I've always been someone that I suppose is from from where I started um, until I met my wife. I was probably the most unambitious person you've seen in your life. Ken I used to try to put me through courses in the early days, and I just I didn't want to go. I didn't want to know nothing. I just just wanted to get me paycheck and you know play soccer on the weekends and hang out with my mates. I just had no motivation. Met my wife, and then obviously you know you have a young baby and house and you know start to do that kind of stuff and then I started to become motivated and then like I said realized that I was okay at some at certain things not not the best in every every field obviously but um yeah it just come down to the point where there was just not I I thought obviously you know can I might have different thoughts but I thought there just wasn't anywhere for me to go um at the time um and I started to grow a little frustrated and then chose to to move on myself so and so what, where did you go after that? What was the, the plan? I basically went into, uh, I, I started uh, Orcott Hire in Wollongong for Orcott and probably lost a few friends over it. It was probably a hard part of my life. It was a big decision, really, really big decision. Started that from scratch in, in the Illawarra to compete against my friends. It was something that I didn't take lightly and went back and forth for months. Like I said, Sam's probably probably lost a, a few good relationships, mate. To be quite honest, and some days I, I really regret that decision because it wasn't the best decision at the time for my career. But where I was at the time, it was I felt that it was. Mm. So I felt you know that there was some things you know said and 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 offered and you know for X Y Z reasons things didn't work out, and and end up going to work for a traffic control company shortly after. So I was only. I think I was there for about four or five months, started that up, got it all up and running. And then, yeah, went, went and worked as an operations manager for a traffic control company shortly after. So it was like a greenfield operation in Wollongong, was it? So you were the branch manager yeah. and trying to start it from scratch, bringing the equipment, yeah, did, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, kicked it, kicked it right off from scratch. So they weren't there yet. And like I said, mate, it got, it hurt me not to be able to, to obviously, you know, Kennards had asked me where I'd gone, where I was going. And I signed a contract to say that I wouldn't say where I was going. So that, that probably hurt them a lot. It, it frustrated me as well. But obviously, I'd signed a contract with my new employer at the time to say that I wouldn't specify you know, for X, Y, Z reason. And yeah, it, yeah that, that just, it just didn't work out out there. And you know, from that five, five or six months there, probably yeah, ruined, I'd say, a, a few relationships back at Kennards, but in saying that, mate, like I said, I've still got a lot of, a lot of good friends there and, you know, people that I, that I still talk to weekly. So. Mm. Yeah. Just part of the, the journey. Yeah. Lessons learned. It is, mate. It is, you know, you, you, you think things are going to work out great all the time and everything's going to be great, but it's not always great, you know, and, and sometimes it's your own fault. Sometimes it's others. Sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes things just don't align the way that you hoped and, you know, I'm, I'm probably being very raw and honest, I suppose, in, in that process. And, you know, if there's there's probably some people from Canards that'll listen to this and disagree with my take on it. And there's there's probably some people from Orcott that'll disagree with my take on it. But at the end of the day, it's my take on it. And that's just how I felt, mate, you know, so. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good for you to be open and honest. So you went to the traffic company and then eventually, like, what was your process there? There's a couple of other companies you worked at as well. There was a couple others, 
you know, prior while I'd, I'd done my own thing, went out and done my own thing for a little while and, and worked in traffic for a while. And the last sort of four or five years, sort of, you know, up and down and just trying to find find myself again um, and where I wanted to be and uh, had a few, obviously had a few more health issues build back into that kind of stuff and there was a few different things that happened and then um, ended up following uh, my Ozcode modular boss back to uh, Royal Wolf. He turned up at Royal Wolf and ended up back at Royal Wolf as a sales manager for them. Um, really enjoyed my time there and obviously COVID and some different things happened and and we're going pretty well at the time, but obviously, like I said, COVID happened and those are a position redundancy. Royal, Royal Wolf were great. Tried everything and, and offered me to stay and wanted to keep me and, and do some sales and stuff like that. But I just, at the time, I just didn't think that that, that was probably a great career move to stay in and, and do that. Um, and, and again, I thank everybody at Royal Wolf, you know, that, that tried to keep me and, 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 you know, Simon Gillies went above and beyond and, tried to do everything um, and, and much respect for that and, and, and appreciate it. And then basically I, I decided to take on a role now where I'm with onsite. So I, I chose to, to go back into sales in Wollongong to go back into equipment hire, you know, a few more products, go back into what I really knew back into, into Wollongong, back into the Illawarra where I knew the people and, and get my head down and get some runs back on the board and start to feel positive about myself and things are going to turn around in life and that kind of thing. Done that, uh, and within sort of five months, the the sales manager on site had resigned and, and moved on to uh, a new role, and the opportunity to come up to lead the team there about twelve or thirteen months ago, uh, and I took it with both hands and and I haven't looked back since. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, so listening to that, like there was obviously a few speed bumps along the way that you're sort of learning through, maybe some challenges that you went to. And then you had that sales manager role that you're sort of working up to at Royal Wolf and then going yep. back into more of a, an account manager role. Like how did you manage that mental health side of it? Cause obviously you've got these ups and downs and you're probably questioning your ability probably sometimes. Yep. How did you sort of manage that side? I also, at the time I was, I'd been really unwell as well. Um, and, and I had basically two or three months off work, um, which Royal Wolf were really good about. They, they helped me through that as well. Um, so then to go back into account management was, it wasn't, you know, at the time I kept telling myself, well, it's going to be good for my health. You know, I need to just, I need to take it back a little bit, take some of that, take some of that stress away and some of that, you know, that additional responsibility. It, it was hard at the start because obviously, you know, I've been speaking to people and as you said, they're sort of like, oh, hang on, mate, you, you a couple of weeks ago, you're a sales manager and now you're an account manager. Like what's, you know, it's fall from grace or people start to think, you know, what happened? Like I said, there was nothing, you know, nothing in the background that happened. Um, health, COVID, redundancies, you know, position redundancy, I should, I should stipulate that. And then basically, you know, going to see people facing up and they're sort of looking at you. Well, as you said, mate, it, it can be hard, but at the same time, any, anything that I try to do, I try to, I just wanted to get into on-site and be the best salesperson on-site could have. And, you know, kick as many goals and, and smash down the doors and beat the budgets. And I'm just that person. I'm just very competitive and I want to win all the time. I don't, I, I don't take to losing very kindly. Not, not a spoil sport, but, you know, if, if I do lose, I want to know why. I'm that person that will break it down into why did I lose and how can I make sure that I don't lose, you know, to the point that, you know, if I'm up against a certain competitor constantly, then I want to know 
well, what's he offering? And, you know, like I said, and we, then we start going back to value, you know, what can I offer? And, and I think one of the things that a lot of salespeople probably don't value as much as they should in sales is themselves. Mm. You know, what's the value you offer? You know, if, if, if we're both giving out X and we're both the same price, you know, it's, it's got to be you. You've got to be the reason they want to go with you, you know? So like I said, mate, it's, it's about building those relationships. And throughout that time, you know, I've still got customers. I, I still talk to the, the very first customer I ever had. I still talk to them today. Even when I went into different roles and I didn't really, I, I really didn't sell to them. I still ring them up. I still say, how are you going? How's the family? What are you up to? What have you got coming up? And, and that's what I talk about hire. It's, it's a little bit different. You know, you, you, you want to get to know the person and understand them. And, and, and the best guys that I've seen in the industry, they do that. They just do it so well. Mm, yeah, very, very true. So it'd be good to understand what a normal day looks like if there is a normal day for a sales manager. Because again, we've probably got some people out there that don't know what an actual sales manager does. Maybe someone wants to aspire to be a sales manager one day. So do you just want yeah. to run through like what a sales manager does and what maybe a, a normal day might look like. So basically, um, once, you, once you step into the sales management role, it, it, it becomes all about people. So it's obviously there's customers, but, but it all becomes about your people, managing your people, keeping them, keeping them happy, making sure they've got their relationships in order. Um, I suppose from a day-to-day point of view, it's, it's sort of you know, checking your daily sales, checking your lost hires, you know, doing health checks on your business. You know, and there's a, there's a gentleman that I'm working with at, at um, on-site now, Len Riley, been in the industry 40 years. He's, he's really helped me out with understanding health checks and, and things like that. And I've picked up a lot in the last 12 months working with him. You know, there's got to be, if you're not winning jobs, you've got to understand why. But if you're winning every job, you've also got to understand why. So you don't want to be at the back of the pack. You don't want to be the leader of the pack either. So, you know, so there's, there's doing those sort of daily health checks and, and making sure that the relationships, you know, trying to close the gap in relationships between operations and sales, that, that's sort of a daily, daily constant task making sure that we're forecasting and we're going to hit budgets. And if we're not, you know, understanding slow moving gear and where can we find the extra dollars to hit a budget, that kind of stuff. That's, that's sort of day-to-day stuff that you get involved in. But I would say 60% of the job is people, Mm. you know, helping your people, training your people, understanding your people, you know, listening, being an ear for the people, being, being an ear, you know, might have some personal issues. They might have some work issues or, you know, they might want to, ring you with your, their successes as well because, you know, let's not forget, salespeople like to win. That's why they're in sales. If they don't have the ability to win, then they're not going to be happy. So it's just it's just understanding each individual person. You know, currently I've got 13 people in my team and none of them are the same. None of them sell the same. None of them have the same daily routines. It's just, it's, it's, it's understanding on a personal level what, what drives people, what motivates people. You know, and, and my old sales manager... He used to understand what drove me, what motivated me. Uh, and, I, and I've probably taken that the most um, from that one-on-one point of view is, you know, I look at every person in my team currently and go, what drives you, what motivates you? And then, and then angle your day towards, okay, what do you want to achieve? And then how do I get you to that? And I can show you and, and, and we work on it together. Yeah, so it's something around people management. So is that something you worked on because not everyone can just go from being a rep 
or an account manager or a BDM and jump into being a sales manager because it's a completely different type of responsibility. So how did you learn to manage people then? Was that something that you learned on the job or through other people? I would say through operations, through my time in operations. So when I was assistant branch manager, you started to learn learn there. It was obviously through mentors of mine. So there's, there was a guy that was a, an area manager of mine um, back at my time in Kennard, Steve McDonald, that I, I still talk to now and ask advice. And, you know, we sort of, you know, you know I'll ask him anything in, in around people and he's, he's more than happy to help or, or give me advice. And, and we talked about it before about mentors and things in the industry. You, you really won't survive unless you find someone that's been there and done that. And now working at Onsite, I, um, I, learned, I, I lean on a couple of people at Onsite a lot for their experience as well. Um, but managing people, I, I, I've just taken the best bits of everybody, every manager I've ever had mm. and tried to understand what, what made me feel good, what parts of a manager I didn't like, and then I try not to replicate those bits. You know? But I also listen to my staff. If I, if I say something to my staff and they don't, you know, they don't agree, I don't, I don't mind if they want to talk to me about it. So that's, that's, that's the input. You know, you, you've got to, got to respect everybody from the ground up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and take all of their opinions on board. But, yeah, I've never had any, I suppose, no, no formal training in, in that kind of thing. But it's just, it's, like you said, mate, it's, it's almost a, you've got to get a feel for it, yeah. you know, start to learn just, just like I did when I was a serviceman driver. You don't know how to service something. You don't know how to run that up. You don't know how to do this, but you learn and you learn by doing. That's, yeah. that's, that's the key to life. No, for sure. It's almost like, you know how you said that when you got a mortgage and you had a, a kid and you got married and then you found that fire, had that fire, you almost want to find yeah. that fire in your staff and then figure out how to ignite that fire. That, that's probably the biggest challenge in all honesty in managing people is, is for me personally is, how do I get people to be as motivated to win as I am? Because people aren't all the same. And, and you're right. How do I get that fire in their belly? And it's bringing in good people. I, I still believe, you know, and, and I refer to I refer to different things in sports all the time because that's, you know, I, I like the tactical side of sport. So a lot of people like the sport, but I like the tactics behind sport and what, what works and how do good teams become great teams that kind of thing. And, and it's about understanding where your strengths and weaknesses are in your team. Uh, and then as individuals, understanding what your weakness is as well and not being afraid to work on it. Mm. So, you know, at the end of this year, I, like I've, I've started, I've sat back, you know, over holidays, just looking at my team individually, thinking who have I helped? Who do I think's got better? And who do I need to help? So it, it's, it's that kind of thing all the time. So I suppose summing up, the transition from sales to sales manager is when you're in sales, it's about you. It's about you getting the win and you getting the drive and, and doing all that. But in when you go into sales management, it's not about you anymore. It's about how can I help him get to that status? How can I help him or her? How can I get them to, you know, become the best? Mm. Where, where are they, you know, do I know someone that can help them unlock that account? It's guiding, it's showing, it's training, it's constant communication, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think also like when they get a big win, you want to take a step back and let them get the glory. And when things aren't going as good, you want to step in and be that shield at the same time. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent your job, you know, and, and I, I like my team celebrating, celebrating that kind of stuff. And 
look, I don't know whether the guys will mind me sharing this, but when I first first started and we started talking about, you know, doing doing sales meetings and chatting with the guys, a lot of the stuff we talked about was what was going wrong with the business. Oh, this isn't right or that's not right. And over time, we've, we've just pushed people into, well, tell me what's gone right. What, what wins have you had? How have you gone? And, you know, when, when the guys, I encourage them to tell me about their wins and then, and then I like to bring them up in front of the team and say, hey, did everybody hear about that win? What about that job? What about this? So it's turning that culture and that positive vibe and, and that kind of thing back in, into the team as well. And, and that's my role is to make sure that the team, you know, goes forward and we all push in the right direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Building a great culture. So look, we've discussed a few challenges, but what do you think has been the biggest challenge you've faced so far? Uh, the biggest challenge I, I think I've faced so far, you know, is, is my health. I've had, had a few issues with health. Obviously, good, all good now. Everything's been sorted. But the biggest challenge that I've had personally um, is self-doubt. So I was, like I said before, before I was a, before I probably be, became who I am now, I was very self-doubting. I, I wasn't, I didn't try things because I didn't want to fail. I had a massive fear of failure. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, people closest to me know that. I, I didn't want to do things because what if I'm not good enough? You know, so I had a lot of that, a lot of that. And um, obviously through, you know, family, once you have a family and you're stuck in that group between your teeth and you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't give a shit about anybody. I'm going to do what's best for me and my family and I'm going to go for it. And, you know, I, I follow um, a lot of sporting, sporting quotes and keep going back to it. You know, and, and Michael Jordan talks about, you know, you, you'd rather – you rather try and fail than never try at all. And, and I, I try to live by that now. So I'm going to have a crack. What's the worst that can happen that doesn't work? So what? I'm going to get up tomorrow. The sun's going to be shining and it's going to go again. So it's, it's, it's about composing yourself and not, I used to dwell on a lot of things, you know, let it really, really get under my skin. Um, mm. Whereas now it's sort of, eh, it is what it is. We try, yeah. it didn't work, let's readjust. Yeah, especially in sales, if you're trying to get those wins and you've got self-doubt, you're probably questioning every every decision you're making. And then when things don't go right, then you're probably even overanalyzing every situation as well. Yeah. So I always speak to any, any new starter or anybody that I bring on now, I always say to the guys, don't expect anything in this industry for six months. You just won't. Your, your phone, if you're new to the industry and you don't have contacts and all that, your phone won't ring. You're going to start having doubt. And, and, and this comes from your own experience, you know, you're going to start having doubt about the three month mark. Is this for me? Am I adding value? You know, are the boys starting to question whether I'm good enough? Mate, I'd, I'd give anybody, anybody that I bring in, I'd, I'd, I'd like to give them time because as long as they're putting in the effort and that's what I say to my guys, if you, if, at the start, you should be doing a load of calls until people get to know you. Then your call numbers will slow down. But, you know, if you're supposed to do X amount of calls, you know, whenever I've had it, if I've had to do X amount of calls, I want to do more. You know, and I, and I used to do it when I was a serviceman driver. If the guy beside me could get six bits of gear ready in whatever time, I want to do eight. If it took him 20 minutes to load a scaffold and drive out of the yard, I want to do it in eight. Like, it didn't matter what it was. I just wanted to, I wanted to win, you know, and, and I suppose that that's where you need to be. Mm, yeah, it's very true. So then... Look, you've spoken about a few mentors. 
you name dropped a few people on the way. Steve McDonald's also someone that I think is a very, very good salesperson in the industry over at Shaw Hire. Um, who do you think was played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective? Look, when I started out, definitely, definitely Matt Gumley was probably, I just, I, I just, I loved everything about him. I just really, I was a young kid, like I said, I just, I was very hot-headed, you know, I was very, very aggressive and very just, it was my way or the highway. And he, he, he sort of, I guess, I don't know whether we, we were similar at that age, but he just sort of took me under his wing and, like I said before earlier, mate, you know, just showed me what customer service is. He'd go above and beyond, you know, whether, whether sometimes they were the right decisions to, to do things, you know. But I used to, you know, once I've come in sales, I used to, you know, pester that bloke at, you know, five to five on a Friday afternoon going, I need 10 of these tomorrow. He'd make it happen. It was just that person that would just, the, the customer service was just, you know, if you could bottle him, his, his customer service was amazing. And, and I learned from that. And I, and I love being, I love my time around him and, still keep in contact with him now and we still chat and it's just it's just one of those guys that really shaped who I become you know in, in sales probably gave me those early skills in customer service and then obviously we just touched on on Steve McDonald he's probably helped me in my later career in that management space you know guiding some of the decisions you know just just being an ear if, if I'm going through a tough time or just you know having any sort of you know any sort of thought before I you know like I said, when I was when I was younger, I used to just say things, you know, right, rightly or wrongly, I would say things, and you know, Steve started to pull pull me in and listen. Maybe we should approach it this way. You know, and, and like I said, I was I was fairly, I wasn't, I wasn't fiery, but I was just very opinionated in my way and just you know entitled when I was young. And going through my career, I just you know people like Steve just they're just very guided and very relaxed people and think of it like this and got got all the industry knowledge and done all those jobs as well you know he's been out there and pumped toilets and he's done all that kind of stuff so you tend to find a lot of respect in people that have Mm. been there and done that you know in any walk of life doesn't have to just be in the higher industry you know you know if they've been there and done it then you tend to respect them a lot more yeah Um, one of the pit bits of advice that we got from the podcast which was from paul weaver which was actually the first episode was he said that the best way to mentor someone is to share experiences, not just tell them what to do. If you can share an experience of going through a pump out of the toilet and then share an experience of maybe in sales or whatever it is, and someone understands that you've gone through that rather than you just saying, no, 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 I want you to do this call because of this reason. And that's it. Like there's a huge 100%. difference in management style. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that statement. You know, definitely agree with that statement. It's, it's one thing to tell someone to do something, but it, like I said, it's, it's one thing that if you can connect and that's what it is. It's about connections. It's about networking. It's about, you know, building the culture. Mm, for sure. All right. Well, if you could give some advice to your younger self, let's go back to the fresh face, 18, 19 year old that got a job at Kennard's Hire. What would you say? Oh, mate, I, my, my, mine would be don't, don't doubt yourself and, and probably slow down and, and start doing the courses early. You know, I, I waited, like I said, until I was sort of 24, I think somewhere around there, 25, before I started to really, oh, I better do something with my life, you know, and, and there was opportunities for me to do more at a younger age, but I just wasn't interested. So the, the advice to my younger self would be knuckle down and, and, and 
get a, get ahead quicker and, you know, push through as far as you can early. Yeah, definitely. And then it sounds like your perspective has changed over the years, but how do you define success? Currently, like right, right now, success for me is my family. So everything to me is my family. So I'm, I'm 100% committed to my family. So if my family's happy, I'm successful. doesn't matter what I'm doing. Um, from, a, from a personal point of view at work, if I've done everything that I can to, to win and bring in everything, you know, I've given it absolutely everything. I've thought of every angle. I've tried to counter and, and gone for it. Well, I've been successful. You know, obviously, if you hit your targets, you're successful as well. But, and then from a team point of view, now being a manager, you know, I, I rate success in how, how strong is my team? Is, have people got better? Have I made them better? Better people off away from work as well? Because you, you got, I don't know whether you know people forget sometimes that we spend so much time with people that you, you start to understand them at you know what's going on at the home life, what's going on here, what's going on there. So if you can help and guide them away from work as well as work, you bond stronger. Have they got better? That's that's the kind of thing that means a lot to me now. So being a manager now, it's have I helped my team? Yeah, that's awesome. Really good. Sounds like you've really matured a lot over the past like fifteen years or so. Like just the the realization of of who you who you want to be as a person, I think, even has really matured. Yeah. No, definitely, mate, definitely, and and I'm sure if you went back and spoke to a couple of those guys that I work with in the early days, they'll, they'll say the same thing. And like I said, mate, you know, I've moved around and done different things and worked at places for short periods of time, and you know, it's just you know, I, I can't change the past. Not every decision's been great. But not every decision's been bad, and I've met some great people along the way, and I've had a great time. So I don't, I don't um, go back and go. I wish I never done this. Everything happens for a reason, um, and and I'm happy with everything that I've achieved and everything that I've done. And doesn't matter where I've worked or who I work for. I'll, I've always given everything I've got. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Josh. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. No, thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. This podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner, Kenart's Home.